This is our third uh, lesson in the book of James. And go ye kids. Uh, no, no, not in the chapel. They'll be downstairs in the big room tonight, I believe. And let's go to James chapter 1. You know, it's interesting the reaction of different people to the book of James. Uh, Martin Luther hated the book of James. He did not believe it should be in your Bible. Of course, there were a lot of things that Martin Luther believed shouldn't be in your Bible. Uh, And uh, because it talked about works. And he was so... uh, Amazed, he had been raised and baptized and all of that a Roman Catholic. And, and he found out that salvation was God's work and not his own. Uh, but he never got to the point that, hey, if you have a living, saving faith, it ought to work. Amen? Uh, how many of you have ever had a car that didn't work? Uh, Andrew, he likes to make... Uh, uh, repeat anyway. He doesn't make them, but he likes to repeat those redneck jokes. You know, if you've got four cars in your front yard and uh, none of them run, you just might be a redneck kind of thing. And I don't know why he likes that stuff, but uh, when I have something that doesn't work, it either needs to get fixed or uh, sent to the landfill. One of the two. Amen? And... Uh, The simple truth of the matter is, if your faith doesn't work, uh, why are you depending on it to get you to heaven? It ought to work. Living faith should do something. And that's the theme of the book of James. Practical Christianity. How many of you have had something difficult happen in your life in the last month? Everybody's hand would go up. Okay, James starts out with, when you fall into diverse temptations, it is time to say, Oh my God, why are you doing this to me? Right? That's what the world does. And if you're one of those people that your first response is, Oh my God, you need to get that fixed. Uh, You just do. It's a bad habit. It's not prayer. It's not asking God. It's blaspheming Him. It's not His fault. Sometimes God puts things in our life that are extremely uncomfortable because He's trying to accomplish something. And sometimes we put things in our life that are extremely uncomfortable. And yet we can still go to God and He will work. And so... Uh, We got through the first eight verses, I believe, with our last time. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And then it almost seems like James just changes the subject completely. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Now, that rich man's got an awful lot to rejoice about, doesn't he? 
He says, you're going to fade away, you're going to disappear, you're not going to endure. And the rich man's supposed to rejoice in that. The poor man's supposed to rejoice in the fact that he is exalted or lifted up. And so, let's just take a moment here and look at the words, what's actually being said, and then try to go back and make it fit into the context of the passage. Um, We understand the low degree, that's pretty easy. I mean, not many wise, not many rich uh, of this world are are called to be saved. Most people uh, that have a great deal of wisdom and intelligence waste it all trying to replace God. Uh, Somebody sent me a little uh, cartoon or something, a caption picture actually, and uh, of some of our politicians trying out for the position of God. And, uh, of course, they do a very poor job at being a politician, let alone at being God. Let's, uh, let's just not even go there. But most of us don't have a problem in this low degree thing. Well, guess who's the richest person in the world? The one who owns Christ. Amen. Uh, heir to all that is uh, God's. The Bible says that we're made joint heirs with Christ. Now, in the day when James wrote, many of the Jewish people and believers were among the poorest of the poor. Why? Well, once you embrace Christ, you are no longer at the temple feast. You are no longer part of the quote-unquote in crowd. Um, You were shunned. You did not participate in all of the regular uh, things that go on, and so you were not advanced as other people were. Uh, many people who were slaves, who actually did not even have the right of their, of their self-determination, they were legally property of another human being. Now, I'm glad that we do not have that here in the United States today. And James was telling them, listen, you can rejoice because you're free in Jesus Christ, because you are exalted in Christ. Well, that's not too hard to figure out. But why would the rich man rejoice in that he's made low? It says, whoa, for the, um, it says, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. You're just going to disappear. All of those things. If you've ever had something very precious and something very expensive, what do you have to do about it? You have to worry about it. You have to take care of it, don't you? I remember when the Lord sent us that miracle for $150,000 to make our building payment. It was a check. You know what? Checks are absolutely safe. Somebody steals it, you can get another one. You can get it replaced. But I'll tell you what, I worried the whole way to the bank. I mean, I prayed, dear Lord, please keep me safe. I mean, and I handed it to the teller and I expected the teller to go, oh, wow. You know what the teller did? Okay. Nothing to it. Just processed it like it was five bucks. And, uh, but if you are really rich in the things of this world, guess what? You have to worry about all those things. If you don't work to keep it, 
the only thing that the only one that does more work than a rich man to keep it is all the other people out there trying to steal it from him, right? And uh, the Bible says, listen, Mr. Man who is troubled and has all of these things in this world, it's not going to be here very long. It's going to pass away. You need to understand something. There are not two classes of human beings. There are not different kinds of men. Someone said, I thought there was only one race, the human race. And uh, that's exactly correct. And that's what James is simply saying here. You see... Sometimes a person who is very well off, who has all of these things, they begin to think that they have to take care of this and they have to do that and that God sent them there to meet everybody's needs. And that's simply not true. You need to understand that just as the poor man, the rich man, they get saved at the foot of the same cross. The ground is level. There is no difference. And we had going on in the early church, we had those who were Jewish believers who had spent their whole life studying the Bible and the old, what we call the Old Testament Scriptures. And then right next to them was a Gentile believer that had never heard anything about the Bible until one of the apostles came by or somebody began to tell them the story of Jesus And they began to believe themselves superior to the Gentile believers. And James is trained, and Paul dealt with that in Romans and in other places. Listen, your station in life does not affect your relationship with God. No matter where you find yourself, from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, Praise God, you're saved. Amen? And that's the context. Because, could I ask you a question? Do trials and tribulation come to rich people? Uh, Do they come to poor people? In fact, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, guess what you're going to have? And that's what James is saying in these verses. It's not out of context. He's not changing the subject. He's just helping us understand that, hey, this double-minded man who's unstable in all all of his ways, this man who wavers in his faith, this man who lacks wisdom, every one of them can go to God and get what they need to deal with the circumstance of life. So that we can let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And then we move right into the next. I mean, that this is where uh, we come. Blessed is the man, rich or poor, that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, here's a promise. It says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Now, when we read these verses, the first thing we think of is temptation to sin. But the Bible says in verse 2 that we're to count it joy when we fall into diverse temptations. 
Do you know that sometimes God puts us in very difficult situation and what God is looking for is for you to come out on the other side still serving Him. I mean, we can look around and we can see places where people used to sit and some difficult things happened in their life. Somebody made them upset. They, they had some reversal. They, they, and they're gone. That's what he's talking about here in verse 12. And also, when you're tempted to sin, you, you keep going down that route and you're going to be out of service for Christ. He said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. There's a promise. The crown of life is going to be given to all believers in Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That is the ability to live in heaven with God. And if you're saved, guess what? You love God. And you're going to receive that crown because you endure temptations. You get through life. I like to say it. You get through life alive. Amen. You get through life. You pass through that veil of the shadow of death. That's why it's called the shadow of death because it's not eternal death. It's just laying aside this physical flesh so that we can be with the Savior. Amen? And the Bible tells us that we'll receive that crown of life. We'll be able to walk with the Lord. And let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, we got the pattern here. God does not tempt anyone to do evil. God does not lay a snare for the soul. In fact, the devil, according to this passage and according to our society, the devil gets blamed for an awful lot that he really has nothing to do with. In fact, if you want to know where the devil really works, it's not in the nightclubs, in the bars, it's not in the magazine stores, it's not in the places where... The devil has those people. You read the book of Revelation, the depths of Satan were those people that were going to church, a real church, in believing things that the devil was teaching. That's where the devil really, really works. If you want to know where your temptations come from, they come from your own lust. Now, we're going to get through the pattern here. I mean, every bit of advertising that you are exposed to, do you, do you realize that in one single day, 
you can be exposed to more advertising than your grandfather was in his entire life. I mean, it used to be, if you wanted to look at all the new things, you had to wait for the Sears and Roebuck uh, Christmas wish list. Does anybody remember those things? They come in uh, about mid-September, early October, and you'd start pouring through. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And uh, fortunately, Dad had enough wisdom to say, no, no, uh, no, and no again. Uh, but today... Walk through Times Square. I had uh, Brother Jet and Brother Waterloo. We walked through Times Square. And, of course, Brother Waterloo had never been here before. And uh, he's just sitting there going, well, I said, no, wait a minute. It's not wow yet. I want you to turn around. We walked from 41st Street up to about 48th. I said, now turn around. And he's going, oh. I said, you know, this is what we call sensory perception overload. And that's what the world is about. But every one of those ads are designed to make you want something or to make you think that you can get something more by buying their product. Now, I never have understood the cigarette commercials. Uh, Why would you want to date somebody that smells like an ashtray? I just never have figured that out. Uh, what is so enticing? And uh, But a lot of people smoke. They think it's cool. They think they're going to get something. I, I don't... And they do. It's, it's called disease and death and all of those other things that are attached to it. You see, we want things that God said no to. It says, we are tempted when we are drawn. It says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's a process here. I, I have never smoked. I don't know about it. But one thing I've heard is the first cigarette you smoke makes you sicker than a dough. And you cough and you burn and you got to do all that, especially cigars. Uh, just make you turn green and all kinds. That's what I've heard anyway. And yet, what do people do? They do it again and again until they learn how to do it. The simple thing is, it is not a sin to be tempted. But we start wanting that temptation. And we're enticed. And the Bible says we're drawn away. Do you think you would have a problem with temptation if you were holding Jesus' hand? I don't think there's a temptation that would even be noticeable if we were holding Jesus' hand. But you get drawn away a little... And you find out, hey, I'm not dead yet. It's not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, it's it's okay here. I haven't really done anything that wrong. And we get enticed, and we let lust begin to work. Now, lust is going to do something. 
It's not only sensual. People lust after money. They lust after power. They, they lust after pride and position in life. James just got done dealing with those two things, didn't he? Poor versus rich. People want those things. It says that lust conceives and brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. You know what? There's no sin, there's no action that God names as sin that won't bring forth death in your life. How about eating? You know what? You can fall in love with eating. And you can be enticed. Uh, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of great food in this city. And you can be drawn away and enticed. And you can eat your your blood vessels full of blockage and have a heart attack. You can do all kinds of things. You can sugar yourself up until you wear your pancreas out and get diabetes and all the things that are attached with that. You can kill yourself with your fork. And you don't have to puncture the skin to get it done. Um, How about driving? I mean, I'm one of those guys. I love to drive. I, I enjoy driving. I enjoy long road trips. I enjoy saying I got there after 1,500 miles on the road. Uh, I I don't mind that. I I like to drive. But what happens if you drive too fast? I think that's one of the reasons God gave me all these children, is I can't even think about sports cars. It's just not a temptation. They don't make them in 15-passenger, and if they did, they wouldn't be fun to drive. Uh, you got to have a little bit of sense. Speeding can kill you. How many people have killed other people by driving their cars too fast and losing control? The, the truth of the matter is, there is not a sin known to man that doesn't bring forth death when it's finished. Sin leads to sin. What's the big deal with marijuana today? I mean, everybody says we should legalize marijuana, and yet... We've known this for two or three generations. Marijuana is not an end in itself. Once you start that, it takes you on down the road. It opens you up to try other things. That's why we're against it. Uh, There is nothing medicinally You can get, by smoking marijuana, that you cannot get somewhere else. You say, well, it helps the nausea. Oh, come on. It also, uh, does anybody remember the Marijuana Reform Party in New York? I'll tell you, if you want a, a real laugh, what you need to do is go through the pictures of the candidates and look at the candidates from the Marijuana Reform uh, party, they really look like they believe what they propose. 
I mean, here's the picture in the thing. And I mean, they look like they're three sheets to the wind there. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Yeah, we're going to vote for you. Isn't that right? You know, I might vote for them if they promise to do nothing. I don't know. I, I think I might vote that way if they promise just to be quiet. But they won't because marijuana is a transfer drug. It's a bridge. Because after a while... It doesn't do what it used to do. And so you try something a little further, a little harder. The Bible says that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then verse 16, very simple verse in the Bible. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Can I tell you, when it is easy to quit smoking cigarettes, it's before you smoke the first one. Isn't that true? You know when it's easy, the easiest time in your life to not be hooked on pornography and, and cable and filthy television and all that stuff? It's before you fill your mind and your heart with the desire to watch it. That's why Paul, I mean, James says here, do not err. Don't start the process. Once you start the process, it's going to go. Only the power of God can break this thing. That's why we plead with our teens. Keep your life pure. Because once you allow impurity in... You never get it back. You can't take that which is impure and make it clean again. You lose things that God intended to be the most precious gifts of life. And you could never get them back. That doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive sin. We praise God that He does. But wouldn't it be better... Do it God's way and not the world's way. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We need to pray. We need to work. I'll tell you this. Our church ought to be a safe haven. It ought to be a place where you can rest from all of the total bombardment of the world. That's, that's why we stress biblical things, so that we can come and we can be encouraged to serve the Lord and to keep serving the Lord. And this process is there. God puts difficulties in our life. There's more than one type of temptation. I hope you're, you're seeing that. I want to make sure I state this correctly here. There is a temptation, there is a trial that God puts in our way, and if we allow that, it can cause us to quit. Sometimes people get mad and start blaming God for the difficulties and the things that they have to go through. There's also a temptation to sin. God's not responsible for the temptations to sin. That comes from our own heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It will draw us away. It will entice us. Think of the mousetrap. 
what you want to do is you want to entice that little critter out from living inside the walls of your house and you want him to nibble on the peanut butter or the cheese or whatever good thing you put on that trap so that it will be strung, sprung and the little mouse will be no more. Uh, that's what, how the devil works with sin. When it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And then in contrast to that, look at the next verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, I want to tell you, verse 17 is a verse that every person, every believer needs to memorize. You need to get a hold of what this verse is teaching. How many of you have ever gotten something you thought was good? I mean, really, really good. And then it changed. Has anybody ever had that experience? One time, as a little child, my mom wasn't watching, and I got a whole chocolate Easter bunny. And man, I ate that whole thing. Oh, was it so good. Nobody was telling me, you can't have any more. I ate the whole thing. And I enjoyed myself and licked my fingers clean, and nobody knew till about two hours later. You see, it wasn't near as good as I thought it was. And I'll try to be nice when it came back up. I don't know if you can die of chocolate poisoning, but I thought I was that night. I'll tell you that. You see, it wasn't a good gift. It didn't come from God. I sure thought it was good going down. But I realized the error of my way, and you know what? I've never, ever done that again. My mom never had to worry about leaving the chocolate out because I, I learned that lesson. But how many people, how many young people meet that boyfriend, that girlfriend? Oh, they're so wonderful to me. They love me. We love each other. We're, we're going to be together forever till next week. That's not from God. It's not from God at all. You see, if it comes from God, it's good. By the way, what's the biblical definition of good? The rich young rulers, Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is, one good, there is none good save one, that is God. And the rich young ruler never called Jesus good again because he didn't believe he was God. Let me tell you something. When God gives you something, it's good today, it's good tomorrow, it's good forever. That's why the next verse talks about salvation. When God does the saving, that's the illustration 
It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. When God gives it to you because you come to Him and recognize who He is and ask Him to save you, He saves you forever. Guess what? It only gets better. And when we die and leave this world, then it's going to get really good. Amen? When you have life choices set before you, you need to understand something can look really good today and really bad tomorrow. That's not from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not change. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. You know what? When you get married in, in the Lord to the person that God has provided for you, are there going to be trials? Yeah. Are you going to be the perfect husband? Is she going to be the perfect wife? No. But you're going to have God's grace and patience is going to work through that thing and keep you together. And it just gets better. When you marry the person you think you've picked out for yourself, well, I'll tell you what, sure looks good at the beginning. But before long, things start happening. And it's a nightmare. Didn't come from God. That job looks like it's going to provide for you and it's going to be everything that you need and There's opportunities for advancement and you take that job and that job all of a sudden says, hey, uh, you're going to have to start working every Sunday. Uh, If your job isn't more important than your church, then you need to get rid of it. And I'll tell you what, get rid of the job, not to church. That's not a gift that comes from God. How many stories I could tell you of people who made life choices looking what was good now, taking a chance on what would happen in the future and have destroyed their lives and their family. When God gives you something, it's good today, it's good forever. And if God says no, can you trust His character instead of your own desires? Because what happens with those desires, that's what brings forth lust, which entices us and draws us away and brings us into sin, and sin is going to bring us into death. What we need to understand is that God has everything that we need. Second Peter chapter 1, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, they're given to us. We have them. problem is we're not using them. I'll tell you what. The more I study and read this book, the more I realize I need to study and read this book. It just keeps getting better. In 
nearly 23 years ago when we moved to New York City and began the process of starting the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Let me tell you something. I believed in the local church. I've dedicated my entire adult life right here. And the longer I stay, the happier I am in the place that God's called me to serve Him. And the more eager I am to stay and continue until the Lord moves me from this life to the next. I want to see God take young men out of our church and send them out and start new churches. Because that is the only answer. You know what? That's a good gift. That's a perfect gift because it keeps going. Have we ever had troubles around here? Well, sure. We have people. we got problems. We're serving Christ. We're going to have problems. Well, guess what? When it comes from God, we can just hold on to it and keep moving forward for Him. We need to grab a hold of this thing. There's an awful lot that looks good today that you know is not going to last. Get rid of it now. So that you can serve Christ. So that you can embrace what is that good and perfect gift that God has. Because He has those gifts and He wants to give them to us. The first is salvation. What did John say? He says, have no greater joy than to know my children serve the Lord. That's, it just keeps getting better when you do it God's way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You today and we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, the encouragement that is in there, we ask that You would help us to take the exhortation and the warning. And Lord, that You would do Your work in our hearts and lives that we may be Your servants. And before we finish that prayer tonight, we'll just keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. We won't even have the piano play. If you need to slip out of your seat and just spend some time with the Lord, the altar is open, and then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.